0: Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. This is the Andrew Giuliani Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here's Andrew Giuliani. Welcome back to the Andrew Giuliani Show. Great to have you along, as always. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about the southern border here in the United States of America. Recently, I've been seeing by the leftist media this push to kind of rewrite the border crisis as Republicans not wanting to solve this issue. And of course, they're, bra- they're blaming their number one villain, Donald Trump, for being the problem here with regards to solving the border pr- crisis. Anybody who has any common sense at all understands this to be uh, a complete ridiculous push by the leftist media to actually deflect blame from Joe Biden, from Mayorkas, and from Democrats who for years and years and years have been pushing for open borders, who called Trump racist time and time again, who called anybody associated with Donald Trump, anybody who was in Trump's administration, xenophobic, just for pointing out the idea that There needs to be security on our southern border, that we need to vet people that are coming into the country, that we actually want a system that works for legal immigrants to actually come into the United States of America and assimilate to American values, to our American culture. But instead, what you have is you have the left here trying to redirect the blame of this recent border bill, the Senate border bill, which was... I think a disastrous bill, and I'm very, very glad that the House of Representatives is choosing not to take this up. Let me explain to you why this recent border bill was a complete disaster. First and foremost, if you look at the bill, almost $120 billion. $20 billion of that was allocated to the southern border. Now, how is this a border security bill if less than 20% of the actual money that it's intended for is going to the United States' southern border. This mostly was a bill for foreign aid to Ukraine, to Israel. Look, I believe that there are different arguments for supporting and not supporting Ukraine. For Israel, I believe the United States should support in their situation right now with Hamas and with Gaza and with all of of the Iranian proxies that are currently attacking Israel and Israel's sovereignty. Um, But... Make this very clear. This was a bill that was going to continue to enrich the defense industrialization complex in Washington, D.C., masquerading as a border bill. Let's just take, for example, the requirements in this bill that if over a week there were five thousand people a day surging through the southern border, that they would shut down uh, the border, that it was mandated that the Biden administration shut down the border. They have the executive authority right now to do that. They wouldn't have to actually go and seek permission from Congress from enforcing their border border laws at this point. And by the way, the Biden administration, if they wanted, if they actually wanted to make sure that they had a secure southern border, and if they actually wanted to Build wall, and if they actually wanted to have the surveillance that they actually could have in order to make sure that you don't have a surge at the border, they absolutely could push for legislation of that and whip Democrats in order to do that. Right now, especially, this is an issue that is, I don't want to say a political hot potato, but this is an issue for Democrats that they're realizing is a complete disaster. I mean, you just take the recent special election here with Mozzie and Swazi and that's what Mozzie focused on completely. Was Swazi saying that he kicked ICE out of Nassau County, and that's going to continue throughout these congressional races. Congress members of Congress, even Democratic members of Congress, as long as they're not in the AOC crazy wing of the party, the socialist wing of the party, they're actually looking at the border and realizing that it is an electoral loser. They've looked at these polls and they realize it is. So the media recently has now been saying that Republicans are the ones that want chaos at the border because it's better for them in the elections in 2024. What I could tell you is very simply that Republicans want this border crisis solved. They've seen over the last three years what a border wall looks like, what a southern border looks like under Joe Biden, under Alejandro Mayorkas. And they've realized that this is endangering not just these border towns or border states, but everywhere from the Denver's, Chicago's to the New York's of the world as well. So it's a complete disaster. You've got a leftist and biased media that's trying to flip this because they realize that there's no way out for the Biden administration in terms of doing this. And instead of signing a weak border deal, which is not even really a border deal, but a weak border deal, Republicans should actually hold out leverage right now to get a better border deal. That's what they do. They have leverage at this point, and they need to use it. They have been right. Trump has been right on the southern border. He has been right to make sure that they put in the checks on the southern border to make sure that we don't have terrorists coming into this country. Remember, you've had dozens and dozens of terrorists, of people on the terrorist watch list, actually surge through the southern border that CBP has caught. So how many people have we not caught? And when this is an issue that we're seeing even in our cities, like New York, with illegal migrants, Republicans have leverage to fight for the absolute best deal possible. You get those numbers closer to zero in terms of what it would take for a mandatory shutdown of the border. You come back to the table and say, hey, if you don't want to run against this in November, then these are the requirements that we have to make sure that a, quote, Senate border deal is not just a title only. This should be focused specifically on the southern border. And look, if you want to talk about a negotiation for some aid to Ukraine, you want to talk about a negotiation for aid to Israel, which I think is important, then guess what? That should be a part of that deal. I'm okay with that. But it shouldn't be the majority of the deal. This bill was a Ukraine aid bill with a little bit of border security in there. That's what this was. So when you have three times the amount of aid going to Ukraine as you do our southern border, you understand exactly what this is. And by the way, this is exactly how the media is also trying to rebrand the economy right now. You know, we've seen inflation at three and a half percent now over the last few, over the last quarter, right, over the last few months. That's down from the nine percent that it was a year and a half ago under Biden, caused by Biden. Caused because Biden ended up shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, went from America being energy independent for the first time in decades under President Trump to now being energy reliant. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're not relying on let's say, the best actors here. We're relying on the Irans of the world. You're relying on the Russians. You're relying on the Saudis for this. So what Biden did in all of his brilliance, and really, let's be honest, it's not just Joe Biden specifically, it's his administration who's calling the shots on this, and it's the, the greenie zealots here that are calling the shots. Instead of actually making... America self-reliant and a net exporter of energy, we immediately ended up making America reliant on the Saudi Arabia's, the Russia's, the Iran's of the world. And in doing that, we've made ourselves a lot weaker, not just from an economic standpoint, but also from a foreign diplomacy standpoint. You could argue this war in Ukraine would not have started had Russia not been able to have the leverage of a U.S. that was a a net exporter versus what we are right now, which is reliant on other countries, because now the other European countries have to potentially rely on Russian energy instead of actually having more supply available to them. That's directly correlated to Joe Biden nixing the Keystone Pipeline pretty much on day one, within the first couple of days of his administration, But the media recently has cited some of the economic reports and said that the Biden economy is working. Well, look, ladies and gentlemen, you can check it out just for yourself. You go to the supermarket, you go see exactly if this economy is working for you. Yeah, gas prices are down from where they were under Biden, but they're still up significantly. 30, 40 percent from where they were under Donald J. Trump. Don't be fooled by this. Don't be fooled by this narrative. And here's the other thing that I expect. And I've talked to people much smarter than me on this um, and people that are economists that really get this. I expect the Federal Reserve to cut rates in the second half of this year at a higher frequency than they would, than they maybe are saying to the public, then there may be hinting to the public. We've seen already rate cuts get delayed from potentially March to now May. There's even some doubt whether or not rate cuts will happen in May. But I think once we get into the third quarter, I think you're going to see aggressive rate cuts from the Fed because I think they want to inflate where people's 401ks, where the market is, uh, compared to actually what it might be. Because I think there are a lot of people a lot of people in institutional power that actually want to continue to see Joe Biden be the president. Why is that? Because Donald Trump threatens the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. He threatens many of these institutions that have not been standing up for the United States of America over the last bunch of decades, but instead are looking out for their own interests, for their own self-interest, uh, and sadly are enriching Many foreign powers instead of ourselves. That gets me into my third topic, which I want to talk about right here, which is you have 46 of the top 100 venture capital and private equity firms in the United States of America investing in Chinese technology. That's right. Nearly half of the top 100 PE and VC firms are investing in Chinese technology. Now, one of my closest friends when I worked for President Trump in the White House was Peter Navarro. I thought he was a man who every single day worked tirelessly to stand up for the American worker, to stand up for American interests, who understood the threat that China was to truly free and fair trade. Peter Navarro was somebody who spent almost every single day highlighting the trade imbalances that we have here in the United States of America with our foreign friends, but also our foreign enemies like China. Um, There are other people in the administration who came from other backgrounds who were, how shall I say, not as hawkish on China, who didn't call China out for what I believe and what Donald Trump believes as being our biggest threat here in the United States of America over the next few decades. When you look at the technology that they already have, when you look at the amount of people in China, when you look at also the wealth, right? We know that uh, of the over billion people in the Communist Republic of China, in the CCP, um, you have uh, something like 300 million actually live in middle class to upper class lives. Now, that leads close to a billion people that live in poverty, but they don't have a social welfare system like we've kind of introduced more here in the United States of America um, and that you'll see in socialist countries. Uh, And so because of that, a lot of times they're not spending the resources that they need to on the bottom, let's say, two-thirds or three-quarters of Chinese society, and instead that they're looking at ways to advance technologically. The fact that the United States of America and that our top VCs and private equity, really, that they have put American national security interests to the side and said, you know what, we are going to go and fund technologies that will help America's number one enemy, uh, is very, very disheartening. And it's another reason why we need Donald Trump back in the White House come January 20th of 2025. He's the first person to actually point out the threat that China is to our country. Remember, uh, during even the 2016 campaign, a lot of people said, no, China's a friend, uh, a, competitive, uh, a competitive friend. We all know Joe Biden's connections to China, right? Hunter Biden received a $1.5 billion, that's right, $1.5 billion private equity investment by the Chinese CCP. Um, And you know that when you're investing in these Chinese startups, there is a direct connection to the Communist Party in China. This is not something there you have kind of these private businesses like you have here in the United States of America. This is directly aiding and abetting uh, Chinese interests. Uh, So for me, this is, uh, again, another reason why Donald Trump needs to get reelected, something that I think he will highlight more and more on the campaign trail because, uh, again, it's a matter of not just protecting the American worker and trying to figure out how we can bring back industry to produce here in the United States. That's why you need leadership in the white house. That's why you need leadership in the executive branch over here. Okay. Another issue I want to cover today is our district attorney in New York, Alvin Bragg. That's right. Alvin Bragg, who, uh, is somebody who I believe has completely, uh, really, if you look at the New York State Constitution, he has violated his oath of office. And I think Kathy Hochul should remove him. You look at Article 2, Section 1 of the New York State Constitution, uh, and it shows that the governor has the right to remove somebody who has violated their oath of duty. Alvin Bragg has violated his oath of duty by not actually stepping up and going and prosecuting illegal migrants who have beaten, beaten, and assaulted gang assaults against our NYPD officers. He continues to do this with violent crimes. And he basically takes political issues and he says, I'm going to go and not prosecute these issues that may be politically vulnerable to some on the left, But then I'm going to take some highly charged political issues and I'm going to make them a a, a centerpiece of my district attorney, uh, my, my time as district attorney. We can look at Donald Trump and the prosecution of Donald Trump. And you could see immediately that that is a political farce, a political farce by somebody who was funded by George Soros, which is exactly who Alvin Bragg is. But now we can even look beyond that and you could see that the district attorney actually wanted to prosecute. New Yorkers who who purchased fake vaccine cards. Think about that. He is taking others, non-New Yorkers, illegal immigrants here in New York who've beaten up cops, who assaulted them, and not requested bail for a felony, potentially, right, for a definite felony. Instead, he's actually said, we're going to go and we're going to take people that may have purchased fake vaccine cards in order to keep their job in some instances, and we're going to go and we're going to spend our resources, your tax dollars, prosecuting them. Well, kudos to the judge that threw this out, Brendan Lantry. He looked at this for what it was because he saw this as nothing more than political, and the fact that the DA would spend their resources actually doing this shows you exactly where those interests are. Look, if I was the defense for these... Uh, New Yorkers, who was being prosecuted by Alvin Bragg, if I had a fair trial, thank goodness they don't have to go to trial. Okay, so those are the big stories this week with regards to, again the border crisis, um, and Bidenomics, right? They have tried, the leftists in the media have tried to go uh, and sell you uh, a bill of goods that is just inaccurate and make sure that you read past the headlines on this. I know most of you do, but uh, you're going to see some people that maybe don't have the time, maybe are more gullible, that will look at this and say, oh, you know what? Democrats really are trying to solve this border crisis. No, they created it, and they're not really trying to solve it. A bill where less than 20 percent of the money for this bill actually goes to the border crisis uh, is a farce. It's not actually solving the crisis that they may name it for. Remember, after all, Biden did call it the Inflation Reduction Act. How did that work? Inflation spiked up to nine percent after he signed this bill, and after he poured trillions of dollars more into the economy unnecessarily for political gain. And again, with China, with these VC and private equity firms that are investing in this. it's why we need Trump in office. We need somebody who's going to be tough on China. We need somebody who's not going to be owned by China like Biden is to make sure that they set the rules and the ground rules so that way American investors are actually first looking to help American businesses. That's what it should be. Or our allies. But that really, we, we should set from a trade perspective, from an investment perspective, We should incentivize people for investing in the United States of America. That's, as a policymaker, that's one of the things that you need to consider as you're looking at this. As you look at people who say, you know what, we may want to invest offshore or we may want to invest in China. First off, you need to make it where it's difficult to find a profit investing in one of your enemies and make it, incentivize it to invest in American businesses, to create American jobs. Let's incentivize that. That's something that's important that we should do. You know, one more thing before uh, I wrap this up, I want to just kind of mention somebody who ended up becoming a, a friend over the last couple of years who's, who's passed on, uh, a friend of mine, Toby Keith. Now, I know I covered this on air uh, last week with my father, but I didn't get to kind of everything in all this i covered it last week as i was filling in on the the rudy giuliani show on wabc uh toby was somebody that i got to know over my time in the administration and and i had the honor of calling him and connecting him to the president when president trump told toby that he was going to award him with a national medal of the arts he's somebody that did more uso tours And somebody who performed more for our troops overseas than anybody. Some of the stories that he has uh, were tremendous in terms of going into these war zones and him volunteering and dedicating his time to do this. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with him in Arkansas at at John Daly's charitable event Mm event. And again, this is something that he did completely on his own dime uh, for John Daly's charity, something he was always thinking about how he can actually give, give back, considering the talents that he had. And then when he came during my gubernatorial run to New York in Orange County, I remember going up there, and it was the last time that I saw him. I've talked to him since, but the last time I saw him, we were in his trailer uh, and talking about the state of the country Uh, It was a scary time as you had uh, Biden kind of pushing these mandates that we talked about, as you had our border starting to become undone and our border security, as you had uh, a country that went from energy independence in the United States of America to lack of it. And this is something that Toby Keith was really, really concerned about. And as an American, as somebody who has started to really enjoy country music over the last bunch of years... um, I want to uh, send my condolences and my grief to somebody who's a great American. And I know we say that and we throw that around, but Toby was somebody who was blessed with an incredible talent and he shared that. He shared that with our American heroes. He understood and he knew that while he was somebody he could inspire, those true heroes were the ones who dedicated their lives to the United States of America, who went on out on the battlefield who put their lives on the line and maybe even made the ultimate sacrifice for our country, who came back with those wounds and those scars. And he never, ever, for a day, stopped thinking about what he could do to help those Americans that served us. Rest in peace, Toby Keith. I'll miss you. I love you. You will live on. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you next week here on The Andrew Giuliani Show.